It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. All right. Welcome back. Good, good, good to have you here as always. Thank you so much for dropping by and sharing your time with us. I know your time is important, so totally appreciate you stopping by, supporting the show, sharing the episodes, and uh, making money for lunch better. So thank you so much for that. Hey, today on the show, lawyer Francis Jackson. Francis Jackson is an attorney who specializes in disability disability law for those seeking veterans disability benefits and social security disability benefits. Founding partner of Jackson McNichol, he has been featured on NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox network affiliates around the country. He most recently appeared as a guest on the Ben Glass on a guest of Ben Glass on the Consumer Advocate Show discussing benefits for veterans and social security disability benefits and how his practice allows him to make a difference in the lives of people facing these disabilities. He's also been uh, quoted in USA Today and listed in Cambridge Who's Who. Mr. Jackson was honored by the National Academy of Bestselling Authors with a Quilly Award in September of 2012. I'm sorry for his contribution as a joint author to the Amazon bestselling book, Protect and Defend, where he wrote about protecting one's rights to veterans' disability compensation. In 2017, Mr. Jackson was inducted into America's Most Trusted Lawyers for his outstanding work in the areas of disability law. For more information, visit VeteransBenefits.com, VeteransBenefits.com. Francis Jackson, welcome back. Thanks, Bert. Always a pleasure to be here with you. Well, it's always a pleasure to have you here as well. Uh, you know, the, the work that you guys do is is so important. Uh, and, and a lot of people just don't understand that our veterans come back and sometimes after fighting for our country and fighting for our rights, they have to come back and they have to fight to get their benefits. So I'm grateful for the work that you guys do because it's really seriously important. Well, thank you, Bert. All right. So I want to I ask you about this. I just found out, and, and, and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly, um, there is this thing called the uh, Ferris Doctrine. Am I pronouncing yes. it correctly? F-E-R-E-S? That's correct. Yes. You've got it. Okay. What is the Ferris Doctrine? Well, the, the Ferris Doctrine um, is uh, about medical malpractice when you're in the service. Um, so say you're in the Army and you have to have surgery and – the surgeon botches the surgery for some reason. You know, if you were a typical person on the street and the surgeon was a typical civilian surgeon, um, you would likely sue for what we generally refer to as medical malpractice. But the Ferris Doctrine is um, a doctrine that the Supreme Court uh, enunciated back around 1950. And what they said was that uh, if you were in the military and the uh, doctor was also in the military, you couldn't make any sort of claim for malpractice against the doctor. That's the short version of the Ferris Doctrine. Ow. That's uh, – okay, so 
that's got to be that's pretty radical uh, for the the court to say that. So, what's the reasoning behind that? Well, the court actually gave three separate policy reasons, Bert. Um, one was the uh, the fact that the uh, the the uniform services require a uh, a uniform system of compensation because soldiers are stationed all around the country and around the world, and so they wanted everybody to be treated the same. And second, they said what that it, what at the time they viewed as uh, there being a generous compensation scheme for soldiers um, who uh, were injured, and they thought that was a, a reasonable replacement for um, what lawyers would call tort recovery for medical malpractice. And third, they said that, in their view, permitting military personnel to sue other military personnel would endanger discipline. Um, Keep in mind that most doctors uh, in the military rank at captain or higher, and, you know, most of the the folks in the military are enlisted in a lower rank, and so – You'd have someone of a lower rank typically suing someone of a higher rank, and they thought that was bad for discipline. So those were the the uh, reasons that the court adopted the uh, the Ferris doctrine, and the, the name just comes from the from the name of the case where the poor guy sued, and the Supreme Court said, "Nope, you're not allowed to do that." Gotcha. And, and you know what? And I can see that, I guess, to some extent, and. and and when you're in the military, the military is like this, uh, what do you call it, this um, closed community, right? I mean, not everybody right. is allowed in the military, uh, you know, and all that other stuff. So so I, I could kind of see that. Um, well, so, so let me ask you this. Uh, has there been any changes in this doctrine? Has it been updated at all? Yes. Uh, what happened, Bert, is there was a there was another uh, lawsuit attempting to overturn the Ferris Doctrine without any great success, but um, it, it caught the attention of enough people in Congress that eventually in the uh, National Defense Authorization Act in 2019, Congress actually um, entered a, uh, a provision that, that – uh, eliminates the Ferris doctrine and says that service members or representatives of service members who are uh, uh, killed or or incapacitated uh, by medical malpractice can file claims for personal injury or, or death, as the case may be. And the uh, the reason why that issue is coming up now is the Defense Department last Thursday finally uh, published the interim rules governing how service members or their representatives can actually file claims against uh, the military for malpractice. And that came out in the Federal Register last Thursday. And the new regulations will take effect in 30 days from the publication last Thursday. So that's all uh, a pretty significant step forward in terms of allowing um, service members and the opportunity to seek uh, some recourse for any kind of medical malpractice. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so I don't know. 
I don't know if you can expand on that. How, so how does that new law work? Well, what, um, what they basically did, Bert, was they took the system that the federal government has for regular claims, um, say, you know, if you uh, get run down by a uh, postal employee driving his, his little post office truck or something, there's a law called uh, the Tort Claims Act, and essentially it says that even though citizens can't ordinarily sue the government, the, the Tort Claims Act makes an exception for certain kinds of things, typically what we would think of as negligence kinds of cases, you know, auto accidents, that sort of thing. And what they did with this um, new provision for medical malpractice was to sort of peel off the the system already in place under the Tort Claims Act or the administrative claim portion. So uh, the way it works is uh, the person that's been injured or their representative must file a written claim explaining what the nature of the, the claim is and, and the damages and that has to be submitted within two years. The, uh, when they first passed the act, because it was brand new and the regulations and everything weren't in place yet, they gave people a, a two-year window from the time of passing the act, so 2017. Um, and those folks are, were allowed, you know, retrospectively, if you will, to, uh, to file claims and anybody from that point forward could file. And there are only uh, a couple of, uh, of basic rules for people on active duty. The, the injury has to be what's called incident to service, which just means it has to have occurred while you were on some kind of assignment for active duty. Um, and that pretty much covers anybody who's on active duty, unless you're AWOL or something. Um, but there are tighter rules if you're in the reserves, for example. Uh, a reservist can only file if there's a connection between personal injury or death, uh, and that has to have occurred while the person was on what's called federal duty status. You know, the, the reserves um, and the National Guard are sort of an odd hybrid where they're actually state run in some instances, but um, they can be called up by the, uh, the executive branch, the, the president for, uh, for federal duty. So, you know, if you're out doing hurricane relief in Texas at the request of the local governor, that's not federal duty. But if you're called up to um, go overseas by the president, that is federal duty. So you have to be on federal duty. And the, um, the other part of the act is that um, there are some limitations. The Defense Department can pay claims under $100,000. If the claim is for more than that, it goes to the Treasury Department, and it would be paid by them if it's granted. The, um, the claims have to be filed with the relevant branch of the service. So if you're in the Army, you have to file within the Army, for example. And for Army folks, you would file with the Office of the Staff Judge Advocate. Um, 
and Navy and Marines folks which would file with the Office of the Judge Advocate for the Navy in Norfolk, Virginia, Air Force and the new Space Force. Those all go to the Staff Judge Advocate at the nearest Air Force Base or at uh, Joint Base Andrews in, in uh, Maryland. But the important part is there's a, a two-year limit. If you don't uh, file your claim within two, two years, you lose the opportunity to proceed under the Act. And uh, the basics for, for covering the Act are you have to file a written claim, you have to file it with the appropriate service place, you have to explain how what happened to you is malpractice. You know, it's not enough to say, gee, um, I went in to uh, have my toe operated on and they didn't do a good job. You have to explain why it is that whatever the doctor did was below the normal standard of care for the particular kind of thing that was done. And you have to um, you have to explain that you've consulted with a healthcare uh, professional, and that healthcare professional assures you that this was bad enough to actually breach the standard of care and cause harm. So um, you have to at least assert that. You don't have to have a statement from the doctor, but you have to say under oath that there is a doctor that said that to you, um, and be prepared to prove it if you need to. And you have to uh, go ahead and prove that the person who caused the problem was, in fact, um, a, a military health care provider uh, on duty and uh, that had a professional duty to, to you and caused the harm. And, of course, uh, because the, uh, the person making the claim always has the, the burden of proving it, um, you have to submit any other documents you think are necessary to uh, to prove your claim. So all of those pieces go into it. And then the, uh, the way it all works is um, those claims get reviewed within the department and the department's determination is actually final. There is no uh, court review, unlike most kinds of cases, but um, that's the, the process that they've set up. I, I wouldn't be surprised to find that at some point that's amended to allow for court review, but at this point, it's uh, a, a determination by the department is final. Gotcha. As a lawyer, what do you think about that kind of power uh, that, that, that they have, I guess, uh, there's, there's no appeal, it's just final. Well, you know, Bert, um, all these things are political compromises. That's 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 the way it kind of works. I, I'm not crazy about the fact that there's no court review, but you have to look at it in context. This is a huge step forward in that uh, for many years, people couldn't make the claims at all. And currently, you know, because the, uh, the regulations are, are only just now coming up, the claims that have been made are simply pending. They haven't been acted on, but there are uh, over 200 of these claims pending now, and and the the face value of the claims. I mean, you never know what they're actually going to be determined to be, but the face value of the claims uh, totals several million dollars. So it's it's not insignificant, um, and I I think you know it, it's a it's a good step. Um, in some ways, it's a lot of like 
it's it's a lot similar to the uh, the veterans benefits process that you and I have talked about a number of times. Because as you'll recall, for years and years, this is the way it worked with the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, there was no opportunity to take those cases before any sort of court. The VA made its own determination, and that was that. It wasn't until they passed the legislation in 1988, uh, creating the, the Court of Appeals for Veterans Claims, that you could get any sort of court review of um, decisions by the Department of Veterans Affairs. And so my guess is that this is going to track along the same sort of line um, with, with veterans benefits there was the initial legislation setting up the court. And at that time, it was a very restricted role for lawyers. You had to have made a claim to the department and been denied. You had to have appealed that claim to the Board of Veterans Appeals and been denied again. And then, and only then, you could hire an attorney, but you only had a one-year window in which to hire an attorney and a, a 120-day window in which to file an appeal to the court you could still hire an attorney beyond that, but they would have to start your claim all over again at the beginning of the process. So since then, as you know, the, the veterans benefits legislation has been expanded so that you can now hire an attorney after an initial denial by the Department of Veterans Affairs. And I'm guessing that over time, this statute will also be amended to um, ultimately allow for some form of court review, but that's just a guess. And, as you know, the political process gets a little harder to predict every year. So we'll, we'll just see where it goes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, trying to predict what they're going to do is, is uh, yeah, anybody's guess. All right, so let me ask you. So if somebody is injured because of malpractice, mm-hmm. does this new process replace any of the benefits that they might be entitled to as uh, you know, as veterans, uh, or, or uh, no, it actually sort of works okay. the other way around. Um, the way this all works, you can you can make a claim for what are called economic damages, uh, extra medical expenses that you incurred because of the malpractice, uh, a reasonable provision for future medical expenses, uh, lost earnings, loss of earning capacity. Um, compensation that you've had to pay for other people to take care of you or take care of your household, that sort of things. Um, And there's also a provision for them to consider uh, what are called non-economic damages, uh, pain, suffering, physical disfigurement, um, what, what the law kind of lumps together as loss of enjoyment of life, but generally just not being able to do the things you used to do. And those those elements of damages are are limited or capped at half a million dollars per claim, um, and obviously in most cases they won't rise to that level. But in in serious cases they certainly can. But the answer to your question directly is that if any compensation is paid either by um, the Department of Veterans Affairs or the Department of Defense uh, for um, Oh, paying allowances while you're on active duty or active status, disability retirement pay, severance pay, uh, incapacitation pay, involuntary uh, separation pay, incentives, 
death gratuities, any of those things, those all get deducted from the amount of the award. Um, even the, the value of the uh, TRICARE coverage that you get for disability retirees or families can be deducted. So the, the short answer to your question is no, none of those things are replaced. In fact, they go to, uh, if you will, offset the, uh, the potential amount of the award that you can seek under the new plan, under the new statute. But um, one, of the, one of the things that is, I don't know, odd, I guess is the best way of saying it, um, you and I talked a minute ago about the fact that you only have two years to make these claims. So if you miss that two-year window, it's um, still possible for you to make a claim for veterans' benefits from that malpractice because it occurred during service. So you would still be eligible to uh, make a claim for ordinary veterans' benefits um, with potential uh, disability compensation monthly um, you know, at, at whatever the appropriate percentage is. And you you could get those benefits independent of uh, having failed to make this claim in time. So the, the veterans benefits piece really stands kind of separately, if you will. It's still in place, but there is an offset for it from any award that you get under this program. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. So if I understand you correctly, if somebody decides, hey, I was injured because of malpractice, medical malpractice, but I don't want to necessarily make a claim, maybe – they don't want to hassle with it for whatever reason. The they're still entitled to their benefits. They can probably they would get some medical treatment, physical therapy, whatever is needed to recover from that injury. However, that's correct. Okay, and so however, if they decide to take advantage of the Ferris doctrine and make a medical malpractice claim, and they get awarded five hundred grand, which is the maximum, then if they have the physical therapy and whatever other services they may be received, they may receive would be deducted from that 500 grand. Um, probably the 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 way it it gets a little bit complicated with medical services because <laughs> it becomes an issue of, of how you value those and so on. But but uh, it, to to if we change your example a little bit. And they got those, um, they got that treatment outside the government, so not through the Veterans Administration or any other source like that. Then the cost would definitely be offset. Yes, um, but if it was if it was paid for by um, Tricare Insurance, for example, it would be offset. But gotcha. but um, if it's if it's within the government, it, it gets a little trickier about the offset. But they would try to offset it. It, it's, it becomes a computation issue mostly. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, so at your firm, veteransbenefits.com, do you guys handle these types of military malpractice, the Ferris Doctrine? No, actually, Bert, we don't. Um, what what we would do uh, for any veteran that, uh, that contacted us about a claim like this is we would get them hooked up with an attorney that does this. But this kind of uh, medical malpractice stuff uh, – 
is is very specialized. I mean, to to win these cases, despite the fact that you don't have to submit a doctor's opinion when you file, you basically have to prove uh, medical negligence. And in some cases, that can be extremely difficult. The uh, there's an interesting study from um, Duke University a few years ago that basically said that in the in the civilian arena in medical malpractice cases plaintiffs lose about 95% of the time um, juries just don't like tagging doctors basically uh, to win a, a medical malpractice case you have to have what uh, one comment one commentator referred to as an oh my god result it really has to be kind of catastrophic um, and in those cases people get huge damages sometimes but but uh, you 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 have a, a, a real a real uphill fight to prove malpractice. I don't care whether it's in this setting or in the typical civilian setting. Um, so it's a very specialized uh, group of lawyers that do that, and and we would be happy to work with any veteran to get them hooked up with somebody to uh, to represent them. But we don't do it ourselves internally. Yeah, and and here's something I want to point out because. On this channel, we also talk about business and marketing, and sometimes it's important to have an area of expertise. And this is one of those scenarios that that you're saying, hey, because this is such a specialized scenario that we're we're better off serving our clients by referring them to somebody who does these types of cases, who has an expertise in these types of cases. And sometimes that is the better way of serving your clients. Instead of trying to do everything and be all things to all clients, it's, it's better to specialize and laser focus on one or two things versus trying to do everything. And so, I, I appreciate the fact that you have made that decision to, you know, you, that you can better serve your clients by giving them somebody who's an expert in these areas because these types of claims are so complicated and so uh, different. They are, Bert. They're, they're just uh, not something that I would feel comfortable with us, you know, taking on directly. We just don't have the, the specialized facilities for it that, uh, that you really need. I, I, I did some medical malpractice uh, as a younger lawyer before I specialized in disability work, and I'll tell you, it's it's a challenging field. I mean, we we had some good results, but I, I I I'm just we're just not in in a position to do that day in and day out. You really have to be you really have to be very very specialized. And, and so yeah, and, I, and again, I appreciate that. I think that's a smart move. So. Over there at VeteransBenefits.com, the law firm, uh, Jackson McNichol, but at VeteransBenefits.com, that's that's the website name to remember, Um, I want to quickly kind of give a a scenario, or not a scenario, just a quick overview of, you know, the stuff that you do handle, uh, because uh, I think it's important for everybody to to hear this. So kind of give us an overview of, if a veteran needs help, when should they contact you? What is it that VeteransBenefit.com does? Sure. What we do, Bert, is we focus um, 
as, as tightly as possible on service-related disability claims. And by that I mean you were in the service, you currently have a disability, and either you served in a period of war, which may make you potentially entitled to what's called a non-service-connected pension if you're disabled, or uh, more commonly, we're talking about disabilities that are traceable in some fashion to your time in the service. Uh, an easy example is someone who uh, served in Vietnam and has PTSD. They've, they've managed to kind of keep that under control for a number of years, but as they got older and uh, avoided getting treatment, as unfortunately a lot of folks with PTSD do, um, they uh, get more and more severe symptoms. And finally, they kind of uh, get to the point that they feel they, despite their lack of inclination to do so, they have to get help. And so they ask the VA for help. And because it was so long ago and the records are hard to find and they don't, uh, they haven't been working with a doctor who will give an opinion explaining that, yes, this is related to service, they get turned down. So we end up helping those folks demonstrate that really this problem stems from their, their military service and ultimately uh, get them benefits. And uh, I just uh, that's, that's kind of one sort of example. To give you a different one, um, say a fellow was uh, loading uh, parachutes in a uh, C-123 and uh, because of the, the, the space you have to crawl into, wrenched, wrenched his back in the service. And over the years, it gradually got worse. It, you know, wasn't wasn't bad enough to keep him out of work or anything, but it just slowly, gradually got worse. And finally, he gets to the point where it can't work. And now it's 20 years later, and the, the folks at the VA say, hey, you've been working for 20 years. It can't be our problem. You can't, this can't be related to your service. And so he gets turned down and comes to us, and we have to find a, an orthopedic specialist to explain, okay, this is what happens when you twist the body in, in this way and it creates this problem, and that starts this whole deterioration process that ultimately leads to what's going on in his back currently, and that's why it's related. And, you know, ultimately, uh, if all goes as it should, he gets his benefits. But that's, right. that's the sort of thing that we do. Yeah, and, and this, is, this is something that, again, us uh, civilians, we never hear about and or see this stuff happen. You know, because you hear about the great benefits that the military has, the GI Bill and, you know, the medical benefits and all this other stuff and the free housing. What you don't see is the fact that sometimes the free housing is – almost impossible to get, or the fact that uh, the scenario that you gave, somebody who got hurt a few months ago, a few years ago, uh, is now battling to get those benefits paid. Um, you know, you and I have covered stories about, uh, you know, how difficult it was to get uh, coverage or disability benefits for Agent, Agent Orange and and then later on, it was the 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 Navy or the service people who were uh, washing the planes uh, were also getting uh, 
affected by this uh, chemicals or the chemicals in ancient orange. Uh, But it took years before those individuals would be allowed to make a claim because the military says, hey, there's no connection there. I mean, you know, we sprayed the jungles. You guys were on a ship, you know, uh, whatever, 100 miles away or whatever it was. So so therefore there was no connection. And, and, and it just took uh, years, uh, 20 years, 25 years, whatever it was, to make, to, to have the military acknowledge that there was a connection between these servicemen uh and, and the uh, medical conditions that they were being uh, th- that they were having, uh, and, and connecting that to uh, this uh, ancient orange stuff. So I, I just throw that out there because, again, as as civilians, we just don't see all the stuff that's happening behind the scenes. Uh, and if it wasn't for VeteransBenefits.com, literally there would be thousands of additional people out there suffering. So uh, this is why I love having you on the show, and this is why the work that you do is so important, because otherwise, especially, I think, our military people who are gung-ho uh, and, and, and kind of, you know, they want to tough things out, if it wasn't for the work that you guys do, they would really suffer for the rest of their lives. Well, thank you for those kind words, Bert. I, I do think what we do is important, but you're right. that There is, there are lots of people who um, have gone a long time without benefits, and it's it's sad sometimes how long it takes to, to get benefits for them that, that they deserve. But we do our best to get justice for veterans. Thank you, uh, Francis, for being on the show today. Thank you for protecting our brave men and women. It's it's. It is uh, definitely an important thing, uh, and, and not to say that the work that some other attorneys uh, isn't important, but uh, you know this is to me vitally important uh, because a promise was made by our government to our military people and their families, and, and sometimes the government reneges or is slow to uh, compensate them. So again, thank you so much for that work, and, and thank you so much for stopping by. Looking forward to having you back again soon. My pleasure, Bert. Thanks so much. You bet. Good stuff there. Good stuff there from uh, veterans disability lawyer Francis Jackson. And you can find out more about Francis Jackson and his team at veteransbenefits.com, veteransbenefits.com. Write that uh, website down, share it with anybody you know, even if they're not struggling today. And I'm telling you, sometimes military people do not tell you about their struggles. Just say, hey, by the way, I know that you served in the military, so should you have any problems with your disability? I just heard about Francis Jackson. I just heard about veteransbenefits.com. You know, here's the information should you ever need it. That's all you have to do. Share this episode with everyone you know. Let's help as many people as possible. Veterans deserve our support. Veterans deserve to get their disability compensation. Uh, And Francis Jackson and his team at veteransbenefits.com do a world of good. We're talking life-changing stuff. Uh, We're talking about families who have waited 5, 10, 15 years to get these disabilities uh, compensated for. Um, and, And 
and again, let's just share the episode uh, and let's help as many people as we can. As always, my friends, thank you so much for stopping by. And as always, remember you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch and check out our website at moneyforlunch.com.